Welcome back to the Pilot Boys podcast. This is the NBA playoff special. We got the whole gang here. We got Partha, we got V, we got Shri, we got Shri there. And it is time for us to dive in and do a detailed deep dive on each of these series, everything that's going on, and make some fun picks. So again, this is going to be a great episode, so stay tuned. V, why don't you kick things off? MC, Master of Ceremonies. Where are we starting, bro? Well, I mean, let's, let's start with where we're at. Um... You know, NBA season is a long season, 82 games. It's hard for anyone to follow when they have a, a busy life. Um, but once the playoffs start, um, I think everybody who's an NBA fan really starts tuning in. Um, and I think what we saw in the first round was um, some pretty competitive series, some surprisingly uncompetitive series. Um, but overall, I think uh, we, can, we can start by going through those series and the matchups. I think the most surprising matchup um, was the one and eight seed. Uh, Milwaukee was favored in, in Vegas to be the champion this this year. They had the odds, uh, and unfortunately, they ran into motivated Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. Giannis got hurt, and it shows how uncertain uh, basketball can be at times. And they got eliminated in six games. Um, very surprising result when you look at it in context of one to eight, but not necessarily as surprising when you look at how good the Heat have been overall in the last few years. Um, seem like they just struggle in this regular season, and then you know they have Jimmy Butler, who's probably the best clutch player in all of the NBA in the playoffs. So they opened some eyes, and now you know they're up one zero on the Knicks as well. So I guess we can start there. What what surprised you guys? Um, in that series and, and how it turned out. Let's start with, uh, with Shri. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I'll just say, you know, one thing with that, I love seeing upsets, you know, upsets are all about, you know, which team has the most heart and obviously dealing with the injury side of it is also crazy. You know, Jimmy Butler is definitely Jimmy Butler, you know, I, def- <laughs> I think he crushed it, you know, I think he crushed it, but you know, the ankle thing is kind of tough as well. You know, maybe he should have wore some lasso. I don't know. That that probably would have helped him. But I'm just, I'm very happy to see this type of like energy. You know, it's very inspiring to see that type of performance from him. I mean, I've always been a Jimmy fan, but just to see that, um, you know, especially in this series, I thought that was, that was very inspiring to see. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I think one of the things that Tom Thibodeau said to start off the series against the Knicks, um, he admitted that when Jimmy got drafted to Chicago when he was coaching there, he was like, I had no idea this guy was going to become this good. He thought he was going to be a role player talent. He could see he's athletic. He works hard. He's got a good build. But I think Jimmy, the thing about him is that he's constantly surpassed the ceiling of what everybody thought he could be uh, from college. Uh, he's got a, a beautiful story, very challenging upbringing, very tough circumstances and has has really just turned into an amazing positive force from everyone who knows him wonderful sweet guy 
And to see him then be able to come to the court and there's this phrase that they say reality distortion field. And I think of all the players in the NBA, the one who's able to create the greatest reality distortion field right now is Jimmy Butler. And I think we saw it in that Buck series. We saw it on that 56 point performance he had at the end of that game. Milwaukee could have easily won that game. That's the thing that nobody's talking about is that Milwaukee had control of basically all of those games. And when Jimmy Butler took over at the end of those games, the entire energy of the space shifted. And you could tell even the Milwaukee players had bought into the fact that Miami was going to win. What do you think, Shreether? You know, exactly as you guys were saying, um, I also thought was interesting was Giannis had, uh, I think it was a 40-point triple-double in that third game. And they still... um, like at the last five or the fourth game in the last five minutes, they just, Jimmy just took over and like, they, they put up insane numbers, but Jimmy made them look like they were playing playground hoop. Like he was looking like prime MJ out there. Not even kidding. <laughs> v, v, uh, what do you think about all the MJ, Jimmy Butler comparisons? Shri, I think you, you told me earlier about a conspiracy theory, which I think you should, Absolutely. You should chime in so, on. But. So Jimmy Butler, there's a conspiracy theory going around. I'm preface this by saying this is not what I fully believe. But I'm open. I'm open to believing this is that Jimmy Butler, you know, he grew up with a crazy childhood. You know, he was homeless. He had all these issues. But there's a theory that he's actually Jordan's long lost son. And I mean, <laughs> he's playing like it. So I, I'm inclined to believe that. But um, it's a conspiracy well, theory, you know, just so you know. I can see it. I can definitely see it. Yeah, I, definitely, definitely some visuals there. And I think. I don't think he's a brand Jordan athlete. I'm not sure though. Yeah, he is. I think he is a brand. I think he he's is a brand Jordan yeah. athlete. But I mean, you know, for any any basketball fan who grew up in kind of the MJ era, we always, even when they were comparing Kobe to him, when they were comparing different folks, they said Dwayne Wade was the second coming of Jordan. You kind of say, okay, Kobe was the closest. Kobe definitely had some of that same competitive energy uh, that Jordan had. But I think in terms of watching this past series specifically, knowing what the Heat were dealing with, losing two of their three best, two of their four best players in Hero and Oladipo, and beating the best team, um, the number one overall seed, that is some Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant type of type of talent right there. Spe- specifically, how he took those games over. That's where. Jordan fans will always say you have to have watched Jordan play and have had to actually watch these games, not just the highlights, not just the documentary, to fully understand the type of impact this one person had on the outcome of every game that he was involved in. And that's really what we're seeing from Jimmy Butler. I haven't seen it since him. And this isn't discrediting LeBron, Steph, any of these guys, but I'm talking about when the game is on the line, your team looks like it's down and out taking over the game and single-handedly changing the will of your team and, and changing the outcome of that game. I haven't seen that since Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, I think, I think for, for, you know, myself and younger, these guys included, we never really saw 
Jordan do those things. You know, I was six when he <laughs> retired the first time, right? Or the second time he retired. So it just, it's not something that I think people ex- have experienced. And to see, to see it happen the way that Jimmy did it, if I had seen somebody do that for six years straight, I think, I, I think I would be, a, I would be also in the uh, MJ goat camp. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. Yep. And it's funny. I was, I was having this, this conversation over the, the weekend with with Larry Hughes and he was saying the same things he was saying the thing about Jimmy that's so unique is that he does what he needs to do there are games that Jimmy has a perfect game and you don't hear about Jimmy like he might only have 18 points but he's locked down his defender it's like he's like he just does what needs to be done to help his team get the result it's not about him and he said that's what makes him such a unique superstar is that is that he is a superstar, but he's a team player. Um, mm. and, and he always plays the role that his team needs him to play to win the game. You know, And that's the other thing about, about Jimmy Butler that's unique versus a lot of the stars in the league now is he's probably the best two-way guard in the entire league in terms of he's a first-team All-NBA defender, he's a first-team All-NBA offensive player, he's got the clutch gene, and that is Jordan. That is Kobe. Those are the only two guys that were as good on both sides of the field on the of the ball at the guard position as Jimmy is. You know, one of one of the things I wanted to to comment on too. Um, you know, before we get to the construction of um, the Heat, is when I was watching the series, I felt a little bit disappointed, to be honest, by Giannis's performance and by Chris Middleton's performance. Um, I obviously fatigue from being, you know, that good several years in a row, not getting it done last year in a tough series. Remember with uh, Giannis with the blood down his face and, and all of that. And I know there were, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys are pretty banged up at this point, but you know, what's the point of being the one seed at the end of the regular season, if you're not ready to win in that first round of the playoffs. Right. And it's like, I was definitely really disappointed. I think, to to kind of add to it, Coach Bud did lose his brother partway through this series, which couldn't have been easy for him mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be fair, from a professional perspective, Coach Bud is not a good playoff coach. He wasn't at the Hawks. He's never been in his career. He's known for not making adjustments. And Spo is an incredible playoff coach with multiple championships under his belt having worked with all sorts of personalities and talent, I think there was just a drastic difference in the quality of um, program that, that we saw. And, and I was surprised because I thought Milwaukee was a little bit more sturdy than, than what we, what we watched in this series. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely a fair criticism, but I also think that losing Giannis is, the hard, it's, he's the most irreplaceable player in the entire NBA for any franchise. To lose him in that way in critical games, you know, for I think he was out for three games of this series, um, and it, it 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 definitely changed that for the Bucks, and then also the way in which Coach Bud lost his brother before Game Four in a tragic car accident. The team had a, a bad run, and Giannis will get to it a little bit later mentioned that like that's the reality you can play great um on entire season but if you have one stretch where your team's not mentally there you have some injuries 
um, then you you could definitely lose all that momentum you gain. And like you said, the difference is that Miami was dealing with some of those same mental challenges, losing two of their top top four players in this series, but they overcame those challenges and definitely believed that they still could win this series and therefore they won. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to highlight that, the Tyler Harrow injury right at the beginning of the series had most media saying the Bucks are going to take this cleanly. Shri, when you saw that happen, like, what was your take? And, you know, what surprised you and how the Heat rebounded from that? Honestly, it just, with basketball, the beautiful thing is that, like, anything can happen at any time. The biggest thing for me was, like, when the tide changed, they couldn't, they couldn't recover from it. And I think that's, that's pretty much what we saw was just that, like, they weren't able to adjust. They weren't able to recover. And they ultimately got got taken over. So, you know, if you don't make the adjustments, it's it's exactly that. Um, you know, the other thing I just wanted to call out was just that, like, what do you guys think of the, um, you know, the Giannis, uh, you know, post interview about the failure thing? Because people like, you know, Shaq, people like Kobe, you know, they did they would view a season where they uh, didn't win as a, as a failure. You know, um, what do you guys think about that, about his comments? And let me just uh, let me just play that really quickly so we can uh, we can play that for the listeners here. Last year, Eric. Okay. Uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right. So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know. Um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never... I don't, know, I don't want to... I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championships. The other nine years was a failure? That's what you're telling me. Well, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So, why are you asking me that question? I love that. I love his energy through that, especially like the composure he has while he talks about it is very balanced. Yeah, <clears throat> he doesn't lose his temper, even though that question was pretty out of pocket, because obviously it's not a it's not a failure when you lose the playoffs like every other team loses the playoffs. Only one wins like it doesn't necessarily mean that they all all their hard work went to waste and they also have the next season to come back. That's the point of a career right <laughs> so it's really interesting that um he asked that question but i love the way that Giannis responded absolutely amazing class class response <laughs> what do you think v are you on the old head camp no i'm definitely not in the old head camp but it's it is putting this into context right there's nothing wrong with him internally feeling like the season was a failure or him feeling like or the team feeling a certain way about how they failed to accomplish their goal is completely different when a critic who doesn't play the game and whose job is to ask questions of players who play the game, ask that type of question immediately in the aftermath of what is an emotional loss. Clearly he's not, he's not happy. He's, he's not happy about the outcome of the series. But then to ask that question and have the ability to ask that question and not get slapped in the face 
<laughs> is 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 the reporter's lucky because he could have had an emotional response and you could tell even Giannis who's one of the most composed people that I've seen on a basketball court or off the court you could tell he had to take a deep breath to keep himself from cussing the guy out but I yeah. but I but I really liked his answer because it really put things in perspective because even Kobe and Jordan would always say it was about the pursuit of perfection more so than actually being perfect, right? And, you know, all these, these help books and audios, they say the, the greatest tool for success is adversity and failure, right? And I think these situations always happen for a reason. They were the number one team overall in the entire NBA. They lost in the first round. And I think it's very unfair when critics who don't play the game ask these type of questions of players um, because they don't fully understand it. And even some of the players that came and criticized Giannis, I was like, you're not being, that's, that's not a fair way to look at it. I saw it on like group, groups like Jordan and Kobe would never say anything like this. They would say the season is a failure, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, they wouldn't say those things. They would get back to work <laughs> on being better the next year. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. The, Every single time they say we'll get better next year, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And I mean, you look at the stats. Jimmy Butler averaged thirty-seven point six point points per game that series. <laughs> yeah. If you've got somebody doing that, like, and they were throwing everything they could at him, you know, and it's not like anyone else was supporting him. Nobody else. No. Nobody else on the Heat. And I'll, I'll tell you, the next leading scorer in this series on the Heat is Bam Adebayo with 17 points per yeah. game. He was with, play- Yeah. Yeah. He was, he what was, are you going to do? Yeah. He was playing at such a level that there's nothing you can do. And on top of that, he was being defended by all-world defensive players. Drew Holiday couldn't stop him. Nobody on the team could stop him. <laughs> no. He, he, when, when somebody reaches that level, you just, you just have to give them their respect and, and move on. And, you know, you got to got to appreciate like to to your point v like the the stretch the stretch of days like it happens life happens are you gonna go quit and and cry and sulk like you get nothing by saying i'm a failure now um that doesn't help you rebound you know what Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and uh you know one thing i i I did want to kind of call out on the heat and get your guys's perspective on you know i've been i've been pretty disappointed with bam out since the 2020 run that the heat had and i think my disappointment started in that run with his inability to deliver good performances in the finals against the lakers and it seems like the dude gets bodied down in the post. Hey, I just, I don't understand. And then he comes out and he can't make a single jumper from the elbow. So it's like as a big on an incredibly expensive contract, how can you not really do either of those things very well? Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, he's had some challenges. Um, I think also the adjustment when you do have a player that, that drives so much attention like Jimmy Butler it's hard to set up offense for a guy like Bam who has to operate within the flow of the game. He's not the guy that's going to create shots for himself off of the dribble. Um, so it's it, one thing I will give him credit for is, and you know, uh, you know, uh, Chris Bosh said this about playing with Jordan 
um, not with Jordan, with LeBron and uh, LeBron and uh, Wade, was that you have to make the adjustment and understand that you're not going to be the primary centerpiece of the offense. Um, I think he does much better when they have the other weapons like Hero and 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 Oladipo on the court to stretch the floor more. So I wouldn't want to be overly critical, but I do think that the hype, I agree with you that the hype that Bama Adebayo gets as an elite basketball player, an elite NBA player, he's got to match that regardless, especially when those guys go out, he's got to step up to the plate. Yeah. How you guys, how you feel about that, Shreed? You, you've been watching Bam um, through the series. We saw game one against the Knicks with no Julius Randle on the Knicks for game one. Um, you know, what's your view on, on the Heat as they're progressing with this, you know, heavily impacted uh, roster with these injuries? Yeah, I just, I just feel like, you know, especially when you don't have like the key players on board, you got to switch into another gear. And I just feel like we just didn't see that with Bam. And I mean, you know, each, each person is different, you know, what, what makes them tick is different, but especially when you don't have uh, key players on, on, you kind of have to become a leader, kind of have to actually just be, be that person. And I feel like we just didn't necessarily see that from him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in game one versus the Knicks, he played 37 minutes, I think, and he only got eight rebounds and two assists and he had two turnovers and he had 16 points. Um, He was not um, exactly playing his part. I mean, he was, but he wasn't caring as much as he should have, in my opinion. Um, In game one versus the Knicks, Vincent was actually doing pretty well with 20 points. So that was pretty cool to see him hoop. And then, yeah, definitely thought that Bam Adebayo is a little overhyped, though, for what numbers he's putting up versus what we do expect from him. And we talked about the the culture that we've talked about, the culture of the Heat, you know, a, a million times, I think. The, the fact that Struess and, and Vincent can step in and immediately play impactful roles on the Heat is a testament to the culture and work ethic that that organization has and the amount of alignment that that organization has and what they're trying to do on the floor. You lose Harrow, Oladipo. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's ridiculous in my view. And then to yeah. still be able to defeat the favorite four to one <laughs> and then come out against a very good Knicks team and be able to close out a game one. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 definitely get bringing memories of that 06 run when Dwayne Wade just kind of took over, and it didn't matter who the Heat were playing, he was just going to get the championship that year. Mm-hmm. It looks like that with, with Jimmy Butler, and it's also, you know, again, I always have to bring this up, what the hell were the 76ers doing, choosing, <laughs> choosing... Uh, What's that guy's name that looks like J. Cole over over over, uh, over Jimmy over Jimmy Buckets? It was just one of the most idiotic organizational decisions because not Jimmy and Joel have the same energy as competitors and it was like the perfect balance. And they would have a championship right now if they did not let Jimmy Butler go. That would be Tobias Harris for our listeners. <laughs> the poor, the poor, the poor victim. That was, the poor victim of Visa verbal barrage. There, he's, he's but, definitely a good player. Tobias, but he's Harris, Tobias Harris. He killed it the last game in the series. He had forty six or something. Oh, like, he's a player. He had like, 
Yeah, he was he was the reason they won that game, but which was insane. But shocked. there's a reason why they haven't been to, <laughs> in that series. They haven't been to the final. <laughs> you look, now that you yeah. say it, I can't unsee the J. Cole thing. Yeah, I cannot. I can't unsee. Well, it. Think, like, think about the J. Cole thing next time y'all look at Javale McGee too. Yeah, he's another one. He's another <laughs> JaVale one. Javale McGee does not look like J. Yo. Cole over Tobias Harris. Just, just, hey. just, just look it up. Over, over Tobias, Tobias Harris, Harris no. And, 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 and for the record, I'm not. He's a poor man's version yeah. of J. Cole, though. <laughs> you could give him that. <laughs> for the record, I'm not knocking Tobias Harris's game. I just don't think oh, he's got the mental, yeah. the mental attitude that Jimmy and Joel bring to the game of basketball that was like a match made in heaven and they just that's like one of the worst decisions it. that they could have made and and yeah. jimmy to this day he says every time he plays the sixers he's like i tell myself y'all chose i'm going to tell them you guys chose tobias harris over me <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> every time they match up he just hoops on him. which is great um let's talk about the the knicks who are the heat's opponent in this conference semifinals um a very surprisingly good knicks team that's been building quietly for the last few years beat a decent Cavs team that we thought was going to do better than losing four to one. Um, the Cavs are not a team I closely followed this season, as you can hear in last week's episode where I thought Colin Sexton was still on the Cavs. Um, <laughs> but still with Donovan Mitchell over there with, um, with having a good season, uh, it was impressive to me the way that the Knicks beat them and then watching game one against the Heat. Uh, the Knicks, it seemed, had had complete control of the game until they didn't have complete control of the game. Mm-hmm. And that shows me that, you know, that was without Julius Randle, one of their core core pieces, especially down low. We talked about some of the weaknesses in Bam Adebayo's game, especially in this current structure and format. To me, this series, obviously, with Jimmy's ankle injury comes down to the battle down low between the heat and the Knicks, considering that they both have talented shooters, talented three and D guys. What are your guys' views in terms of the Knicks team? V let's start with you. Um, you've had a pretty good pulse on them. You think that they're going to be able to, to do it here. You think they've, they're coming up against their match with the heat. Um, yeah, I'll start by saying that Tom Thibodeau is one of the best basketball coaches, uh, in the NBA specifically when he has players with the right attitude because he drives people um, really hard and rides them really hard. And I think adding Jalen Brunson, obviously you see the disparity now between what happened with the Mavericks team once Jalen Brunson was added, who also takes on the personality of the coach because, you know, him and and Thibodeau and his dad have been close since he was a kid. Uh, So there's an implicit trust and having that guy as the leader of the team that, that can take Thibodeau's kind of hard-driving nature and apply it to the team has been critical. And you have a whole bunch of young guys that are just willing to play hard and play their role. Um, I don't know if they can beat, um, beat the Heat with Coach Spo and with Jimmy Butler with the way they're playing. But I do think that the Knicks and, and Cavs series showed an interesting difference between those two teams, anybody could see that the Cavs have overall more elite talent than the Knicks. However, they're still a very young team, and the questions about Donovan Mitchell, he's obviously a great individual player, but we saw with Utah, but is he the type of player you can build a team around? Um, And then also, 
the bigs for the Cavs that, you know, Allen and, 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 and Mobley, you have to look at them and say, what were you guys doing? You guys have all the hype. Giannis said that he thinks that, that Evan Mobley, if he puts it all together, can be a better player than him. But he didn't flash it in the series. They didn't make the adjustments. Thibodeau was playing chess. They were playing checkers on the coaching side. Um, it just doesn't look good. And the Cavs were the three, I mean, the fourth seed, so they were the higher seed. There's a lot of questions about that team. Tons of talent, a lot of questions. But I think the Knicks are the team that's outperforming their talent level. And that's because of coaching and leadership. I don't think they, they win this series, but definitely something positive to look forward to for the Knicks organization. Yeah, what what do you think, Shreeder? Have you uh, stayed up with the Knicks, and, and what do you think about their performance game one? So I thought that they actually did really good. Um, R.J. Barrett had 25, I think. Um, R.J. Barrett had 25, and then who was the other person? They both had 25 the first Him game. Him and Brunson, yeah. And Brunson, Brunson came. actually and Brunson. has a sore Brun- ankle yeah. right now as well. And he... And he came out after the game and put the whole loss on him. He was like, yo, it's on me. Yeah. But I mean, just to kind of support the point I was making earlier, um, you know, sharing, sharing screen here for our, for the folks viewing our clips. Um, but you can see actually on the shot chart exactly where Miami's weakness is, which is in the paint, which is kind of, yeah. I mean, exactly where, you know, you're, you're talking about, the size difference. Miami does tend to play more small ball. They tend to play a, a different style of basketball. But the Knicks have a lot of really nicely sized talent. Like even even an RJ Barrett, that's a big body that can shoot, score, and be a rebounder. Um, I think that's that's gonna be where this this series is decided. And I think Miami's gonna have to shoot lights out to win this thing cleanly. Absolutely. The Knicks are definitely lacking in the on the wings in the three-point area. So they're gonna have to pick it up from the perimeter. They wanna see wanna see a double. Well, so this thing is like <clears throat> Tyler Harrow's out, um, Butler's questionable for game two. You know, and on the mm-hmm. Knicks side, same thing. Their top two scorers are also out. And I feel like slash injured, it's like I, I just feel like there's a lot, a lot of firepower missing right now. So we're, we're going to have to see, see the yeah. rest of the folks kind of step it up to see um, some really good basketball here. Could go either way, though. Yep. So um, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's call picks on this, and we'll move to 76ers Celtics. Um, Shri, you go first. Who you got and how many games? Ooh. You know what? Um, <clears throat> I got the... I got the Heat in uh, six games. All right. Shreeder, what you got? <laughs> Funny enough, I have the Heat in six games as well. A 4-2. All right. I can see it happening. All right. V? 4-2. Pete, Heat are going to take this series. Oh, yeah. I got the same call. Jimmy's sitting one game <laughs> to heal that ankle. He's going to get six days of rest before game three. Mm-hmm. Heat in six. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's jump it down. <laughs> let's jump it down to the 76ers. They played just an abysmal team in the Nets. I don't even want to talk about that series. Um, but now playing the Celtics, who had a great series with the Hawks. Um, Hawks are a tough team, a tough team that's been played by just an incredible long stint of mediocrity. They're pretty good forever. 
but they're never great. They were trying to make some moves in the offseason last year, bringing in DeJounte Murray. And it just doesn't seem like the Hawks have that that X factor that's required to overcome getting out basically every year in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> um, you know, V, what, what was your take when you watched the Celtics Hawks series? Um, I was a little, I feel like the Celtics um, allow that series to be a series that it shouldn't have been. Obviously there was that one game that, that Trey young is always going to get his team just because he shoots lights out and he's clutch. But the Celtics had, there was such a dis- talent disparity, but it seemed like they were looking forward um, to the Sixer series and they missed a huge opportunity by not ending the series in six or in five because with Embiid being out, they gave him time to rest up. He's still doubtful for game one, but I was kind of disappointed, especially coming off of their finals appearance last year. I would have liked to see more you know, this is our our season, our championship season in that series. I feel like they let the Hawks hang around too long. Yeah, that's a great take. That's a really great take. Um, Shri, what's your view on, on Celtics-Hawks and how that one played out? I mean, honestly, I'd, I would definitely put this on. It's obviously a team effort, but I would say Trey Young was just a little bit disappointing. Um, I would say that, like, you know, uh, being a superstar at that level, I think you definitely have to to bring it. I feel like he really didn't do it this playoffs, and and that that was a big reason why they got swept. Uh, but Philly is also crushing it as well. So, um, you know, I'm kind of very excited to see how how this this next round plays out. Yeah, yeah, Shreeder, uh you got any views on um, Celtics Hawks? Yeah, you know, uh, as V said, Celtics definitely did did uh, let the Hawks stick around a little too long. <clears throat> I do think that Trey Young um, does need a little bit more help on the on the on the floor. Um, the Hawks need to do something about that. They need to they need to pick some people up. Um, that that I think it was the fourth game. Trey Young hit that clutch deep three to to take the game. Um, definitely thought that was pretty nice, but all in all, yeah, Celtics let them stick around a little too long. Good, good series though. Not bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I I would add that my biggest disappointment with the Hawks is that is the lack of development with John Collins specifically. I think that when they brought over Clint Capella, they knew what they were doing in terms of expanding, um, the bigs. It created a good partnership between him and Trey Young. There were a lot of oops thrown. I think Clint Capella is really good at pick and rolls or rolling to the rim. We saw that with uh, uh, with his role. He played at the Rockets. He did a really great job there. Um, but John Collins, when he came into the league, was supposed to be that guy over at the Hawks. He had a lot of hype around him. And I was living in Atlanta at the time, so I was immersed in a, in a lot of the Hawks culture. And to me, I think the biggest disappointment is that I don't think this team wants to win. I think they're, they're very comfortable. They're very good where they're at. It just doesn't seem like the organization, not the players, the organization wants to get over the hump here. And I think that's just annoying when you get into the NBA playoffs to see a team that I think there's moves that could have been made to strengthen this roster before the trade deadline. 
that weren't made. Yeah. And I think that it just shows like a lack of desire to win from the organization itself. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very it's always been very interesting that the Hawks have never been able to in my time watching basketball build a team that's a true championship contender because it's a city that players like um it's a city that also supports basketball. There's a lot of talent um, in that region around basketball at the high school level um, as well. So it's not like it's, it's, it's not a basketball town, um, you know, but with, with a lot of Atlanta sports, I've always been surprised at the lack of fan support, real fan support showing up to games. I see a lot of Hawks games, half-empty arenas. Um, that's, that part of it surprises me. Um, with the community, maybe there's there's just too much other stuff going on that people don't want to go sit at a basketball game for two and a half <laughs> hours, but you don't see that same energy when it comes to the Braves and when it comes uh, to the Falcons. Um, fans show up, and they're very, it's a very supportive sports town. Um, with that said, I agree with you. I mean, organizationally, you know, I, I don't know if Danny Ferry's still in the front office or involved in any capacity, but they were building something with him um, when 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 they had him, um, but it's very easy to see with Trey Young. This is a guy who's very very similar to early Steph. He obviously can do amazing things on the court, make offense happen, but he's a complete defensive liability. He can't he can't guard anybody or anything. So you need John Collins and Dejounte Murray and and. Clint Capella to support him defensively and offensively, and you brought it. You brought up a great point. John, John Collins is the biggest disappointment that they have um, on the team because he's being paid well. And you thought there was hope that year that the Hawks made the run that they made that he was really going to be a great player. And I just don't see what everyone else sees in Dejounte Murray either. I think he's a good player. But I don't necessarily think he's a great player to be your second piece on the team. Especially like the skills to attitude ratio with DeJounte Murray, I think is off. I think his attitude is far too high for his skill level and contribution on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're walking into a slugfest here between Boston and the <laughs> Sixers. Like that, I think <clears throat> what's exciting about this is like both are very physical teams with incredible talent, really athletic defenders. One thing I love about the Celtics is they play great defense, led by obviously the tone Marcus Smart sets on that side of the floor. Um, Sixers, too. Philly's a tough town. It's got a tough culture. They like to get punched in the mouth and punched <laughs> back in the mouth. I'm, I'm excited, man. That's what I want to watch between these two teams. I want to see them really tough it out. And I want to see growth out of whoever comes out of this series. Because if anybody from the East wants to win the championship this year, iron has to sharpen iron. And that first round, iron did not sharpen iron. And if they're not able to elevate, if if a team is not able to elevate their game from the East in this series or in the conference finals, then the winner will definitely be from the West and it won't even be close when we get to the finals. Yeah. I mean, look, this series, it's, it's very predictable for me. Um, and, and I've said this uh, many times, it's not a lack of talent on the Sixers side. It's a lack of the right championship attitude um, that I think the Celtics possess from Marcus Spart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Williams, the big, 
they are a pretty tough bunch. And if you look at kind of the history, recent history, and you look at the other side, outside of Embiid and the and Maxi, the Sixers don't have that same energy, and that's why they get the results. The Celtics kind of dominate um, the Sixers in this current iteration. James Harden, obviously phenomenal, all-time great player, but again, he's not a leader, uh, and he's not he doesn't have that kind of toughness that's required to compete against this team. Um, so it, it is on paper a very enticing matchup, the most probably competitive matchup that's on paper that we'll see. But honestly, I feel like the Celtics are going to dominate this series. Yeah. So let's make those calls then, V. What you got? Uh, I got four two Celtics. Tree there. Um, as V was saying, <clears throat> James Harden is an amazing player. But he definitely is not a playoffs. Like, he's not no Jimmy <laughs> Butler, that's for sure. Yeah. He doesn't have that dog in him. Um, he's definitely good, though. But the Celtics have Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and um, uh, Jalen Brown. And all of them are high, top-tier competitors that are going to bring it. And Joel Embiid, definitely going to bring it. But we're going to have to see. And I'd say... For the call, it's a it's an interesting call. I'd say um, I could see a four four three Celtics. I could see a game seven. Okay, what you guys? Yeah, treat? I'm doing Celtics in seven as well. Yeah, yeah, I also feel it'll go to seven, uh, but I think it'll be the Celtics. The reason why I think it'll yeah. go to seven is because if we get him beat back, I think he's got a couple heroic performances mm-hmm. in him that are going to happen at home. Um, but I mean, if the Celtics play to their potential, that's the, there's this idea, right? Of do you play at your level or do you play down to the team that you're playing with? And right. I think the Celtics will probably start the series playing down. Um, and mm-hmm. I think by the end, hopefully they're elevated Pick from the toughness of the series. Yeah. Um, but honestly, so even to me, I think need, uh, the, this Philly team has been doing really well. They want to, they want a playoff game mm-hmm. without him. They won five other games without, I mean, like, I think it was like 11 and five when he wasn't playing or something like that. But it's like, just that, you know, this Philly team has also got a lot of heart. That's why it's going to be a a good, good series. I think that's the, that's the catch 22 with Joel Embiid, right? Phenomenal talent, MVP level talent, but same thing with Anthony Davis and him. It's like, you can't rely on them to be there when you need them to be there. And at a certain point, yeah. You know that that matters, yeah. right? And right. and the fact that he's going to be out game one, he's always having kind of these issues. It's and I know Embiid himself, you know, some of the same issues that haunted Anthony Davis, which was how good of conditioning, how good of shape is he? Is he in? Is he taking care of himself the way he needs to in the off season? You know, because you know that was the biggest thing for him. It seems right. like he's hit his stride in terms of being a overall player but some of these health concerns you ask are is his diet right is his training right is he doing all the things just like the same questions they ask of anthony davis is he doing all the things to make sure that he's right when he needs to be right yeah and on that on that note i actually saw something really interesting about Embiid, um and his he has a high prevalence of foot injuries in the playoffs basically every year and uh, somebody who's like a sports astrologer, it's like a real job. 
um, <laughs> broke this down. But basically, apparently because Embiid is, because of his astrology and because of various signs, he is supposed to be more prone to foot injuries during April and May every <laughs> single year. So they've, they found that all from his birth date, location, and all of that. And I just thought that was a really, really interesting factoid. That had nothing to do with the fact that they have all the data of all his injuries to set the storyline. <laughs> yeah. Um, you never know. Speaking of, um, speaking of Anthony Davis, let's jump into that uh, Grizzlies-Lakers series that we just watched. <laughs> this was like probably one of the most entertaining. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dylan Brooks poked the bear and he that's gave him for 40, sure. though. He got the 40 <laughs> he, he asked for. He, he did. He did. So let's start, let's start with the Grizzlies. They started to unravel once that, I feel like once that Shannon Sharp beef started, yep. that was the start of the Grizzlies not being that team anymore. Yeah. Right. Uh, agree 100% with that. Like The fact that you're beefing with the not even a former NBA player, but a former NFL player that you know is like a LeBron dick sucker. Is, <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you expect him to do? Like, he's literally paid every game to kiss LeBron's ass. All, yeah, that's, that's his role at the network he's at. And when he, the fact that he can take you out of your element and, and, and mess you up mentally combined with John Morant kind of having his issues, like not being mature enough. Then you add in Dylan Brooks, who always talks shit that he, you know, uh, writes a check he can't cash in every series. Like, <laughs> you, it's fine to talk shit, but like you have to Deliver. perform, right? Like, I, love, I agree. I love the energy, you know, and I, I love the competitive spirit. But if if that actually derails your team. And creates a distraction and motivates the other team. It's like they always say this: don't give the other team bulletin board material. Right. And you, as Dylan Brooks, who's never even touched or even been close to an All Star game, talking shit about LeBron James, who's the all time scoring leader and one of the top five players to ever play the game, is just <laughs> idiotic. He's going to be playing you know? for the Guangdong Tigers in China next year. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that clip of Shaq? Uh, Shaq and Charles, they were like, let's write down where Dylan's going to be playing. And, and they both wrote it down, but Shaq, Shaq wrote it in like beautiful Mandarin. Oh, I, I missed that. He was like, Chuck, you spelled it wrong. He turned around his dry erase board and it was written in perfect Mandarin. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Nah, that and yeah. then, yo, job being like, yo, I'm fine in the West. It's like, I bet. <laughs> yeah, and then every the trades happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness, lethal west now. <laughs> yeah, after that. It, it, again, it highlights you know. And the thing is, I'm a huge. I was a huge. I'm not going to say I am, um, but it could still become again a huge John Morant fan in college when I first yeah. saw him play. I was like, this guy is like a Sick. more controlled Russell Westbrook. You know, or Derrick yeah, Rose, like literally even, the, is what I kind of the MVP caliber Derrick Rose. But it's it goes yeah. to show you that no matter how talented you are as a basketball player, if you're not surrounded by the right support system and you're not mature mentally, mm-hmm. that that talent can unravel. And John Morant, same thing. He should have never. He met. was taken. Yeah, his his arrogance is fine, but you better back it up. One thing I will yeah. say about him, statistically. 
in that series overall for the most part. He did back it up even after he broke his finger. Again, he was the, nice. The energy, the yeah. energy was still there. This isn't on him. And I also like the way that Desmond Bain played uh, throughout the series. But the Grizzlies definitely have are a basket case. They need a sports psychologist. <laughs> In the building, pretty, pretty badly. <laughs> well, and yeah, he needs to stop taking, stop trying to dunk on LeBron first <laughs> off, because that's like I feel like one of his biggest goals. Because he even said that in a post game interview, uh, they were like, "Who do you want to dunk on the most?" And he was like, "LeBron." And you could see, you could see he wanted to dunk on LeBron. He jumped like five feet from the basket, just jumped up, just thinking that he'd do it. And they just tackled LeBron. Basically. <laughs> it was like, I, I just thought it was ridiculous. Cause I mean, he still, as you guys said, carried through and backed up what he was talking about, but shouldn't have been trying to dunk on LeBron that much. <laughs> no. And I, I, I also want to throw it out. Like the Grizzlies, I'm glad they're, you know, on their vacations now <laughs> reflecting on this year. Um, but what we saw was, the Lakers, specifically LeBron, show us a different level of the game than the Grizzlies have access to as a team. Yep. And the basketball IQ, everyone talks about basketball IQ, basketball IQ. But the thing that, that I think sets this LeBron team apart is, is two things. One, this is the best supporting cast he's ever had, in my yep. view. Even when he had... Okay, the Heat teams. There's there's a couple years that are arguable. <laughs> you have quite a bit yeah. of support there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's Real let's let's set on top. Let's set let's set <laughs> that. Yeah, let's set that in a different box. Yeah, that's a different era. Different breed. But yeah, yeah, in, in, yeah. In LeBron's current game, he physically doesn't have it to be able to carry the team the way he could in the past. And so you're not gonna get forty point games out of LeBron every single game. It's just not what he does anymore. No. But what he knows how to do is facilitate the flow of a game and he knows how to control momentum and seeing LeBron, the greatest scorer in, in all of NBA history, taking charges game one, game two of this series, throwing his body on the line that sets the tone for your younger guys who have the energy, who have the athleticism to fill in the gaps from a scoring perspective. And when you have guys like Reeves, you have d you have you have Schroeder, you have AD playing an incredible series. It allows LeBron to be more of a tactician on the court. And I think from a fan perspective for me, I have never been able to watch LeBron be this strategic. It's like a different level of basketball that I'm able to experience just by watching the way that he played in the series. So I, I just got to say like, that that is new. I didn't know he could do this. I didn't know he had that power in him. It's sick as it's sick as fuck. Like it's so cool. Yeah, I mean he's he's he had a phenomenal series, but I think it's really unfair to the rest of the Lakers Lakers team and how um they perform. You know, and this happens with every team that LeBron is on, right? He's gonna get all the headlines, he's gonna get all the credit. But the best player on the court for the Lakers has been Austin Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, as an undrafted, you know, <laughs> undrafted guy coming in, he's their top scorer, top offensive player. In key moments when the games looked out of hand, he's kind of carried them offensively or LeBron's been tired or out of the game. That's been the biggest thing. But even looking at the rest of the supporting cast, another guy that's not getting the credit he deserves is Jared Vanderbilt. Um, he has been the defensive ace 
for the Lakers in this series. Like he's really, really become an elite level defender. And that was a key acquisition that they had uh, as well. Um, and then, you know, the more inconsistent, then D'Lo as well. He's got the competitive energy. And then there have been moments, there were moments in that series too, where he took over and went on 10 point scoring streaks. So there's a lot of help as Partha said um, at the beginning of the, of the conversation, he's had a lot of help with this team. The, the biggest X factor and kind of uncertainty for the team is actually Anthony Davis. He had a great closeout game, but he just has disappeared in elements of the parts of the series. Every time he gets fouled, you think he's going to be out for the season. Like he doesn't seem to have that energy of like, I'm that tough, tough mentality that's required. And it seems like you're just waiting for him uh, to have that injury. And if he gets injured, the, this Lakers team falls apart completely on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing to highlight is that while he may not have brought it as much on the scoring front in that series, on the defensive front, AD was a monster. Like, the Grizzlies could not get to the rim, period. Yeah. And if if AD even plays that role, and good call out on Jared Vanderbilt, I think he do deserves flowers for the way he's playing. Um. But it, I think this Lakers team is playing a level of defense that I'm not accustomed to seeing with most LeBron teams. Usually there's a lot of coasting by a lot of the players on the team. But the fact that there's all these young guys in, the fact that LeBron has aged to a point where he can't be primary 1A ball handler, scorer, etc., creates the room for other talent yeah. to rise. And we're seeing that. We're seeing it with Austin Reeves, who... Who's the real deal, man? Like, he's an amazing player. He brings amazing energy, amazing culture. I can't, for the life of me, understand what he says when he's being interviewed. He does not speak clearly. But he's incredible, man. Yeah. Speaking of, um, <clears throat> speaking of injuries and Anthony Davis, he has a ridiculous amount of injuries in the past. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but... This is literally his injury chart. And we're still in 2022. Oh You've been scrolling for, yeah. for all this oh, time. Oh, yeah. This is, no, look, 2021 right oh. now? Yeah. 20, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh in 2019. Dude, this dude literally, like, just gets, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but Anthony Davis is... High high injury prone, yeah. so like definitely got to watch out for that in the in the playoffs and in the series specifically. Yeah, so we're gonna definitely see how he how his body holds up throughout the series. Yep, let's wish him best of luck. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's let's transition here to the Western Conference semifinals. Now that we're out of you know the Lakers Memphis thing, I think we can we can talk about the that was definitely a win for for the NBA culture. Um, to get Memphis out of the playoffs, I just don't think that they were <laughs> We needed yeah, that. We needed but, that. But again, it creates what everybody wanted to see and what everyone's gotten used to seeing for the last decade or so. LeBron's team against Steph's team. Yeah. Steph has gotten yes. the better end of LeBron um, on most of those occasions, uh, except for the one series in which LeBron did his... Michael Jordan impersonation to, to bring them down from 4-2. But also Draymond Green got suspended, as he normally does, 
um, at, at a key moment in that. He deserved that yeah. suspension. Yeah. He deserved that <laughs> yeah. suspension. Draymond Green was mad out of pocket. Yeah. Dray- I, Draymond's a- I hate Draymond Green. <laughs> For that series, yeah. He's, I'm a Cavs fan, obviously, yeah. and I hate and I hate I hate Draymond Green. For the life of me, man, like just kicks people in the balls and then thinks that he can get away with it, or like stomps people in their chest. But I granted there was some there was some more to that one, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's where we're we're at here. Is you know, I mean, have to give all the credit in the world to the Sacramento Kings. I think De'Aaron Fox is is the best young point guard and probably, you know, deserves more attention as MVP for what he did this season, as well as Mike Brown for Coach of the Year, which he got. Um, But they are a rising team. Um, But as I said, there was going to come to a point where all of the history that the the Warriors have in all of these series, and I know most casual NBA fans and even most you know, diehard NBA fans are sick of seeing the Warriors. But again, they showed in Game 7, and Steph showed that he has another level as a basketball player. And anybody who bet that the Kings were going to beat the Warriors um, in that series um, was sorely mistaken. Yeah, and- you know, in the first half of that series, like, it was really just the beginning, you... Definitely thought that the Sacramento Kings had one up because Curry was being outperformed. And then Jordan Poole was really fumbling the bag. I'm not going to cap. Seems like he shouldn't have shouldn't have had the ball most of the time that he had the ball. And he just looked like a looked like a case of just like handling gone wrong, really. Um, But uh, Curry didn't look like himself for a lot of that series in the beginning, but then he started picking up that Curry Curry mode, you know, where he just, Chef Curry, he just shoots and he splashes. Like, it's like anywhere. It's It was definitely a performance. Yeah, that game seven was insane. I mean, I think he's the only player (laughs) to ever hit 50 points in a game seven, which is kind of insane. Um, You know, we just got to respect that. And the story behind that game seven thing is pretty tight too, because he couldn't sleep, you know, and I think they had a group text between Clay, Draymond and and Steph. And they're just, they're just up, you know, they're texting back and forth, 3am, 4am. And then uh, supposedly Steph was just like, you know, let me handle the pregame, you know, speech, you know, and, and supposedly that, that speech was just incredible. Like it got, it got them so engaged. Cause he never talked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's like, I just love that. It's like, that's like a, your favorite sports Curry's movie. Curry's an amazing That's leader, like your favorite man. sports movie right there, you know, in real life though. So I just thought that was extremely. The, the quiet, gotta the get quiet superstar becoming vocal when he needs to be. Yeah. Crazy yeah. shit. Well, I think too, like one of the things that was referenced about that speech is that it sounds like uh, guys like Kaminga, guys like Jordan Poole were unhappy with the way that, um, that their roles were shifting as they entered the playoffs. They weren't getting as many touches as they wanted, those kinds of things. And basically the speech was, if you're on the bus, you're playing whatever role you need to play for us to win. If you're not take your vacation starts now. And to see like somebody of Steph's caliber say that, like to, to your point V quiet superstar, like he's not the guy who's usually talking like that. So Mm. Because he waits for these moments, his words carry so much more weight with everybody in that locker room. And I think that's the thing you got to really appreciate about Steph is like, it seems like he's a a fantastic human being. But on top of that, like he picks and chooses his moments. He's very intentional and he's showing like, 
a level of strategic thought that's incredible. And I think like the thing, the difference between Steph and LeBron is the way that Steph scores versus the way LeBron scores is so different on your body. And it allows him, I think, to be able to more easily create these 50 point performances compared to somebody like LeBron. And he's, he's 35 now he's aging. It's not like Steph's like, you know, super young guy out here running Mm -hmm. around. Like it's got to take work to put up those points, but he, to your point V again, he can flip that switch, take it up a notch and elevate everybody behind him by saying, put the weight on me. I'm going to show you how this is done. And from a team perspective, I can't imagine the solidarity that that has created in the locker room. Yeah. And just a couple notes on, on the Warriors. Got to give a shout out to their most underappreciated asset in Kavan Looney. He shut down Sabonis. He cleared the boards for them. The one question mark that really exists for the Warriors um, is Jordan Poole. I mean, there's something about guys from Michigan after they get their contracts, Duncan Robinson, Jordan Poole, they play really well, they get their contract, and then they fall off the map. And it's not just an issue of necessarily his game not translating well, but if you look at his attitude on the court, you can tell he's very envious when when Steph and Clay are performing and he's not performing as well. You see it in his demeanor on the court and you 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 start to wonder um how much of a long term fit he is and why that confrontation with Draymond happened in the first place. I don't know if that conversation was directed that or, or that speech that Steph gave was directed at him, but you can visibly see that he's the only guy that's not completely tuned in and they need him to be tuned in to dominate the way that they dominated last year. Um, and, and that's really the biggest concern that I saw in that King series is the complete disappearance of Jordan Poole. Yeah, well said. And, you know, I think alongside that, we got to give flowers to Clay. Clay coming back from that crazy injury a couple years ago. He's back, man. He's exactly who he was before. He's a more mature player. He knows his spots better than he's ever known them. And a lot of people think Steph is dangerous. I think Clay's the most dangerous player on this Warriors team because oh, we've, yeah. we've never seen someone put up 37 and a quarter other than Clay. And the way that yeah. the way that he can get himself going when he needs to, and and also the consistency he brings when he doesn't need to get going, it, the the value he adds, especially as a three and D type of guy, is unreal to this Warriors team. And I think he has been a little bit under the radar this year because Draymond's gone and created his own media platform. And now he's like, for whatever reason, the guy everyone talks about, but <laughs> I mean, he's putting up, you know, six and six I mean, every and, game. And the other, well, one thing I wanted to say uh, just about Jordan Poole is just that, um, I don't know if you guys have seen these memes or heard of the Jordan Poole effect at all, but uh, what they really got to do is oh. put some baddies courtside. And every time, yeah. every time you put some baddies courtside, Jordan just balls out. Like he'll, you'll see. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? You Splashes. See, you see, yeah, you gotta see hoops. the edits where basically he looks over, he sees a baddie, and then he just starts balling out. So <laughs> it's called the Jordan Pool effect. You can look it up on the Urban Dictionary. So, so the Warriors are just scouting universities. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. They're just trying to find just like five, six baddies. They just put them courtside, pay for their tickets. They need. They need to bring in more talent, talent to the game, it seems yeah. like. But the other part that needs to be mentioned is, you know, Andrew Wiggins caught a lot of flack for taking time off because his father was sick, um, prioritized, 
you know, what was happening with his family, took an extended period of time off. But it was very clear, it's been very clear since he's come back. He hasn't skipped a beat. He's playing the exact same role he played for them last year on both the defensive side. He's giving them 18 to 20 a game. Definitely have to give a lot of credit uh, to him as well as, again, these guys on the Warriors understanding their roles. That's really what it is, and everybody understands their role on that team except for Jordan Poole. Absolutely. I think I think that's a testament to the Warriors organization. Steve Kerr is an amazing coach, amazing leader. He's clearly brought that room together. Um, coming into the series, I wanted to highlight the matchup between Austin Reeves and Jordan Poole because I think they serve really similar roles on both teams. And in my view, this series could likely come down to whether or not Jordan Poole decides to mesh with Golden State or whether his ego takes over. Yeah, that is the that is the X factor, because if he plays well, this isn't going to be a close series. It's going to be over very, very quickly. The Lakers do not have a team that's constructed to match up um, with with Golden State. Um, And, you know, everyone's pointing to how they dominated Memphis. But Memphis was the most paint heavy offensive team in the entire NBA. Most of their shots came within the paint. The Warriors are going to stretch this aging and kind of team out defensively because they're very they're the most perimeter oriented team so i don't think that this is a very good matchup for the lakers i didn't think the kings would be either um i thought whoever won that series was going to have a a pretty easy time against the lakers unless anthony davis decides that he to to put some super glue on all of his joints and (laughs) and perform <laughs> missing any games that could be a difference right because he they don't have an answer to him if kevin kevin looney gets in foul trouble but i mean going toward this series i really don't i don't see it being as competitive as everyone else is making it out to be i think i think that the, the warriors as long as they play the way they did and jordan Poole shows up it's not going to be a very close close series well, and I'll, I'll give a counter there because I'm actually probably leaning Lakers this series. I'm probably in the minority on that one. But the thing, the thing that I think is really interesting about the playoffs is that it's not about skill. It's about peaking at the right time. Yep. It's about chemistry and cohesiveness at the right mm-hmm. time. I think we're seeing the Warriors pull some stuff together. But I think it can't be understated, the momentum that's behind the Lakers right now, plus the amount of energy that's, that's around them in LA in the stadium in in and around everything that they're involved in um having young guys who are driving that bus now is very different than Golden State because we're talking about in Golden State a team where the young guys are the ones who are struggling actually and the older guys are the ones who are driving with the Lakers it's almost like there's been a successful transfer of power in an extent so if that transfer of power can be completed in a sense where LeBron's able to stay in that kind of oversight role. If AD continues to be a defensive monster, but also a rebound monster specifically, that's the big thing for the Lakers is that if you can keep the Warriors from getting extra shots, you have a size advantage against the Warriors. You can get some of their bigs into foul trouble. And and I think that they have the talent advantage down, down in the paint as well on the Lakers side. If you can keep the Warriors from getting multiple three-point attempts in a position possession, and if you can allow guys like Rui Hachimura, who will not be getting guarded the same way LeBron and AD are, allow guys like Austin Reeves, same kind of situation, 
to dominate their matchups against the younger pieces of talent or the less experienced pieces of talent on the Warriors, that's where I think there can be an advantage for the Lakers. And obviously, as a LeBron stan here, you know, kind of leaning that way. Um, but let's, uh, why, why don't we, uh, you know, what do you guys think, Shree and Shree, there about the series? And then why don't we do, do some uh, picks after that? Hell yeah. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into my pick. I definitely, I, I'm going Lakers in seven. And the reason I think it's actually going to be competitive is because even more so than teams, I still feel like Jordan Poole is just too much of a wild card. So like he would need to be reliable throughout the series in order for, you know, um, them to really dominate like that. So I'm thinking like, you know, that, and I, I'm also a LeBron stand as well. So, you know, that part and just the fact that LeBron's 38 and he's playing the way he's playing. I mean, I really feel like whoever wins this series will have, I mean, they both have four rings now, right? LeBron has four, Steph has four. Yeah, so whoever wins this, I feel like is really in the, is, is the really, the, is really the goat, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's that Cody that's, talk. That's the streets, I mean, they still, they, the streets they still gotta beat. They still gotta beat Denver. And, and yeah, yeah. Six. But I'm just saying between them. I mean, between hey, them. there's this conspiracy. Yeah, between them. Well, there's this conspiracy that, um, you know how like I don't know if you guys have heard about the conspiracy that like all sports are like following a script to an extent. So the narrative is that LeBron is gonna win this championship with his scoring title to cement him in the goat conversation with Jordan. Cause if he, if he gets this championship, he is the goat. It's no longer Jordan, even though he has five versus six, just due to the fact that he also has the scoring title on top of that. That's, I, I, you don't I think actually so, also don't think so. Shreeder. You don't think no. so? Why, why don't you guys the think so? Is Jordan played 13 years. LeBron's played 20 almost uh yeah and on top of that there's nothing that can be done about two three peats and six and oh in the finals lebron has more finals than he's won and not saying that what is everything getting there but he also dominated kind of a weak eastern conference to get there many years um and Mm -hmm. then the heat although they won two championships um probably the fact that they didn't win more with the team. They, sh- they should have won all four. Mm-hmm. They should have won all, all four of them. You're right. So that's the reason it's not, you know, and, and, and. The, no, I, I understand. But yeah. I put, and I think the comparison is, is also pretty unfair because they play. Right. Which, they're just not, they're the not same. the same type of player. I, no. I would put them, you know, I, I don't fault anyone for saying LeBron is their go, but I think when you, right, when you bring right. it to objectivity, it's pretty clear that, that Jordan has an argument that LeBron can't can't surpass, but maybe no. Steph can if he gets to right seven rings. But even Steph, he doesn't have the numbers. He doesn't have the numbers to support the argument that LeBron has. LeBron has the numbers, but I don't think Steph will have the numbers or the defensive talent uh, to be the goat. He'll probably be the greatest player of this era and the greatest point guard ever to play the game. But I don't think yeah. he, he's the goat. When I and I think there's multiple goats too, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. depending on the era, like this this yeah. the type of basketball that people are playing has changed so much. Like the the way a Jordan worked, like his personality wouldn't work in the league this year. No. Like it, it, he wouldn't be able to be Jordan right now. So I think like right for the for the new generation, LeBron's their goat. And I mm-hmm. think you you share that title when you get to a certain point. I think there's multiple yeah. multiple folks that can be fairly called was the greatest basketball players of all time. Mm-hmm. 
and they all contributed different things to the game. And I think LeBron deserves his flowers as one of those goats. But I don't think, to to V's point, I don't think it makes sense to even try to compare the two because it's different eras, different fan bases, different media environments, different goals in terms of what they were even chasing compared to, you know, what the outcomes were. And I would say like LeBron's comp is magic. It's never been Jordan. And I think LeBron has exceeded magic in, in his, you know, overall contribution. Yeah. And one one other thing very important in this conversation, it's great for the media to have this conversation and the critics and the armchair people to have it. But something that's very, very telling is even amongst the players who are currently in the NBA, over 60% of them still say Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time in a head-to-head vote. They did a vote uh, uh, with all the players in the league now. It just goes to show you what other players who've played the game think carries the most weight to me. And I think... Agreed. The fact that Jordan is so far removed from playing and that these young guys still say that and believe that um, says a lot about how great this guy was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I have, to, I have to actually agree with you guys because, <clears throat> as you guys said, it is different eras. And it goes back to what we were talking about before of you just had to be there and watch him play to see mm-hmm to see what it was actually like and the energy that he brought. And as you guys said, two, three peats is no joke. It's no joke. Well, yeah. And he went to go play MLB too, like in the minor leagues, like that, like he is definitely, he is definitely the GOAT in his own right. And as you guys said, so is LeBron. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I definitely have to agree with you guys after Le- hearing you guys. LeBron out. is clearly the most dominant and best player of his era, right? It's, Mm-hmm. And th- there's people that make the argument that you shouldn't argue, and, and part of this way you're saying, you shouldn't argue goats in different eras, right? But right. one thing I will say is that Jordan was averaging nearly 40 points a game in a league <laughs> that defense was emphasized. Like, everybody yeah. scores 35, 40 now in the NBA, so scoring itself doesn't really, you can't compare that, because if yeah. Jordan was playing with these rules, no hand-checking, and he could he could operate the way he operated. Pretty much every single basketball player will tell you Jordan would have averaged fifty points a game. It, he probably he probably would have got yeah. bored. I mean, yeah. that's the reason he retired yeah, yeah, is yeah. he was winning too much. He got bored. He was he had he was gambling. He was up every night before games. Like he was way better than everybody else by such a significant degree. It's like what we saw from Jimmy in that playoff series. Imagine that every night, like that's really what Jordan contributed. It's a son after all. So it's, yeah, that's, that's different. It's a different that thing. Is diff- it is. A son <laughs> after all. It's, it, it's to the point where that's the reason he's not a very likable person, right? Is because yeah. we're never going to see somebody who has as little work-life balance as Michael Jordan, right? Like he looked at every slight, like, it's why people, a lot of people don't like Michael Jordan, the person. But from a basketball perspective, the guy was 110%. Same thing with Kobe. A lot of guys, people yeah. didn't like Kobe. And that's, I think, if LeBron had that attitude that Jordan and Kobe did toward basketball, you would say that he probably have 10, 10 rings right now. <laughs> But you wouldn't yeah. like him. Yeah, but he wouldn't be nearly as no, you No, yeah. he's definitely a family-friendly uh, NBA player. That's for sure. Kobe was definitely, <laughs> and, and as you guys said, Jordan, down to the nitty gritty, wouldn't give a fuck, literally would cuss out his teammates. Uh, not as family friendly, 
Definitely had the dog in him though. Both of them did. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that's that like cleaner mentality that Tim Grover, um, Oh, there you go. That's a good, that's a good reference. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Relentless. Yeah. 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 Relentless. Yeah. Good book. It's by Tim Grover. Michael Jordan and Kobe's personal trainer, and D Wade. Yeah. So let's dive I saw into we, your, I yeah. think we got off topic here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you got to pick to make <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 you got to make a pick. <laughs> you got to pick. Oh, I do yeah. have a pick to make. You're Magic. absolutely correct. Wow. <laughs> Literally slipped away from me. Um, you know, I'm a hard LeBron stan. Um, I'm going to have to say Lakers in seven. As, but here's the thing. I can easily see it being Warriors in seven as well. And here's why. It's because Steph Curry can easily pick up and he always can pick up slack. On top of that, he also has Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole in backcourt with him. And dog, they are literally shooting machines. So those three are shooting machines, especially if Poole can pull it through, which that's a 50-50 shot, but I mean, hey, they'll they'll have some they'll have some conversations in the locker room, I'm sure, and they'll get him going. I'm I'm sure they will cuz a couple more he, a couple he's more not punches. about to slack off. Oh yeah, oh yeah. A couple well, more fists. I from, really do think. A couple fists from Draymond. <laughs> Draymond just a couple clocks to the face. Yeah. Little little strong talking to. I mean, yeah, I I can see it going both ways, but I'd have to say LeBron so Lakers in seven, just because that's just my bias, internal bias kicking in. But in my reality, like objective take, either Warriors or Lakers in seven. That last game is going to be crazy, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So my last one. And if Draymond does some good defense, oh, my goodness. They could do <laughs> uh, it. Um, they could do it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm trying not to put my personal biases in my analysis of, of right, the game. Right. But the truth is, like... Uh, I'm a, I'm a big LeBron fan. I'm I, I hate the Lakers. I've always hated the Lakers as an organization. Uh, I have always, always, always hated. I hate Lakers fans. Um, really? So, I love Kobe. But, I'm a big Kobe but, fan as well, take, and a big Lakers fan because of that. Take, take, taking the bias out, I hated I hated Kobe until later on in his career because oh, I thought okay. he was trying to be Jordan. In literally everything he did. <laughs> he was. I mean, he yeah. he definitely oh, was, but, but he did. I, no one else was as close. I, to I him, appreciated him much know? more when the league shifted to all these guys building their super teams and Kobe sitting there like, "I'm going to beat him." <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love. That. I enjoyed that version of Kobe, but honestly, like when you look at this series and you look at the matchup, it's not. I mean, LeBron can go superhuman maybe at 38. But this isn't going to be a, a, a series. I feel like the, the last series going to Game 7 is what woke up the sleeping giant. And I know generally yeah. NBA fans are tired of seeing the Warriors, but this team really is that much mm-hmm. better of a team than this Lakers team. And they've had decade of being together versus 30 games of being together. Um, <laughs> and I just think that it's going to be 4-2. Even without Jordan Poole necessarily yeah. performing, when you look at this team and the firepower that they have, and also you look at the three-point shooting comparison between the two teams, the Lakers won against the Grizzlies because they played against another team that could not shoot the three well. Um, I don't think that that happens in this series, and I see it ending 4-2. I think LeBron's greatness will get two games um, for the Lakers, <laughs> um, but I think overall, I just... 
think. And then the coaching mismatch here, too. Steve Kerr is 17-0 and in series against Western Conference teams. They make the finals. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what this team does. I don't see them losing in the second round to the Lakers. Yeah, Steve Kerr is, is incredible. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he, he deserves a lot mm-hmm. of credit. So let's move on to um, the, the last series here. Uh, we got Nuggets and Suns. Um, both advanced 4-1 pretty easily through the first round. Uh, didn't really have strong matchups because the injuries on the Clippers. The uh, Timberwolves obviously suck, so Denver just kind of walked right <laughs> through. Now we've got Denver and Phoenix playing each other. Phoenix recently added Kevin Durant to their team. Um, but the story of Lethal. game one was Jamal Murray and even, even Jokic said it, uh, potential MVP, but, uh, likely runner up this year in that. But, uh, even he said, we're all following Jamal and Jamal showed us who he really is. He showed us he's that guy. He's been that guy. We saw it in the bubble playoffs. We haven't, we hadn't really seen it cause he had that, that bad injury. And, um, I mean, he's balling. The Nuggets are balling. And I didn't watch a lot of Nuggets basketball this year. But after watching game one, uh, the thing that stood out to me, really, there's two kind of primary things. One is that the Nuggets are sneaky talented and sneaky athletic, especially with their role players. And two is that the Suns don't know how to use Kevin Durant. And I think those two factors together have been really interesting um, for me. So... You know, in my view, I, I think this is a pretty easy win for the Nuggets. I don't, I don't think this is even going to really even be a series. I don't think the Suns have it at all to be able to bring to the level the Nuggets play. But I, w- I want to see kind of what do you guys think about that? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. I don't think this, again, part that I don't think this one requires as long of a conversation as the other series. Um, but I do think it's important to highlight a couple of things. You know, teams kind of make, few teams in history have kind of made this mistake of kind of going all in and compromising um, the depth of their team to go all in on three or four players. You know, you saw it with, with the Nets when they got Garnett and Paul Pierce. You saw it with the Lakers when they had Carl Malone, they brought in Carl Malone and Gary Payton. You have a couple of aging kind of veterans that are still superstar level players, but then you're expecting them to play heavy minutes every single game and not get breaks. You cannot take Chris Paul, Kevin Garnett, I mean, Kevin Durant, uh, DeAndre Ayton, or Booker off the court. And Booker and Ayton are the only young guys, two of those guys that are young. Durant's 35, Chris Paul's, I think, 37, 36, 37. Years old. I think actually he might be older than LeBron because they were in the same draft, but okay. he played a couple years yeah. at Wake. So that's where I think that the Phoenix Suns, like going all in on Kevin Durant was great, but they don't have anybody else on the team. Like you can't bring Austin Rivers in as your next piece, you know, and, and they don't have any semblance of help on bench on the bench. And Jamal Murray, Jokic is great, but they have no answer for the freakishly athletic Aaron Gordon, and you saw in game one, yeah. he was very dominant. Um, they don't have an answer for that. Like, they don't. And it's unfortunate. Maybe the greatness of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker carries them in this series, but I, I see it the same way you do. I think the Nuggets win this series in six. What do you guys think? Shri, let's start with yep, you. I completely agree with that. Um, I feel like the Nuggets are playing super, super well. Um, also, just Murray's Murray is crazy. 
He was shooting 51% from the floor. Um, and they also won the, um, the offensive bounds, uh, offensive boards battle as well. So I feel like it's just, I wish it was more of a, of a close game and close series, but, uh, you know, it doesn't really look that way. Like you guys said, it doesn't seem like KD really, they figured out how to use KD yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going with the nuggets and six. What'd you guys read there? Um, honestly, I have the very similar take. Um, I'd say either Nuggets in five or six. I can see it happening. Um, that's that's pretty much the same take that I have. Hundred per hundred percent agreed with you on my side. I think that I think that the Nuggets are are honestly way better than everybody else this year. Um, oh yeah, I think it's five five game series uh, Nuggets in five. And uh, I think Jokic they get is a killer. Yeah, I think they he get gets triple doubles like nobody's well, business. Well, the, so yeah, the key to the Nuggets for the last two years is has been as as, as you said at the top, Jamal Murray, right? Because Jokic is a great player, but he's not your killer. He's not the guy mm-hmm. yeah. that you go to to get you buckets in the late fourth quarter. It is Jamal Murray? He stepped up, um, and they have just yeah. a lot of depth there. You know, Michael Porter Jr. They just are a very well put together team, but it is very important for them to get out of this round and get to a finals because I don't think that you can start giving somebody three-time MVP um, who hasn't even made the NBA finals. Like you can't be the league MVP and never like if he gets it again this year and they don't make the finals and they don't win a championship, then it's like it's meaningless because by giving somebody something that nobody else has done, you're basically saying they're the greatest player of all time, and it doesn't hold water when his team can't even get to the get to the finals. Yeah, straight up, straight up. So I think I think we have um, p- pretty much an overall consensus on a lot of these takes. Uh, we'll be back. It sounds like we need to do a part two when we get to the conference finals here. Um, but an exciting start to the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, just kind of final thoughts uh, on my side. I just wanted to say that. The, the really nice thing this year about the playoffs is it's the most parody that we've had in a long time. And the type of basketball that's being played is fascinating because we have finished the evolution of bigs now being able to stretch the floor as well. So it's leading to more unique strategies, more dynamic passing, more dynamic ball movement and roles um, into almost like a positionless basketball culture that has had a lot of really physically tough games. Like you're seeing, you're seeing teams just gassed sometimes at the end of these games. And I I appreciate the refs letting the games get physical too. Um, To me, this year is the best product that I've watched of the NBA since LeBron came back three, one against the Warriors. I haven't seen a better produced, better, more enticing playoffs from the NBA since then. Um, I'd like to say that the bubble is pretty pretty crazy, and Jamal Murray went ridiculous in the bubble as well. Um, I I'd have to say that the bubble is definitely a really good year yeah. of uh, of the NBA. Um, would like to see something else like that because that was just pure basketball, pure hooping. Nobody was in the courts, just the players, <laughs> and you know that they just got into their into their zones and players that don't like necessarily need the noise really got into their element and they were able to like step up to the plate. Definitely a good year there. But uh, 
I'd have to say that this year's on par or just a little under, but it's 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 there. Having Warriors versus Lakers in a in in the semi conference semifinals, pretty cool. Round two, that's a pretty crazy crazy thing. Either LeBron or Steph, so that's gonna be a really cool cool game to cool series to watch. Yeah, definitely a very entertaining season, playoff season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with with what you guys are saying. I think all of the intrigue um, is out west in this round. Um, you know, obviously we can we can sh- shit on the Suns and say the Nuggets are going to are going to are going to clear, but at the same time, they do have uh, four All Stars on their team um, that if they play really well, could beat any team in the NBA, not just. Mm-hmm. In yeah, a series, can't count uh, them but out. that's why I say the intrigue's out west. I don't think there's as much interest, um, especially with the Bucks losing um, in the first. But the Heat, the, I for yeah, sure I, see a lot of interest there. Yeah, but I, I just don't see them, despite Jimmy's um, unbelievable talent. Um, you saw it even in Philadelphia with the injuries that they have. They're not beating the Celtics or the the Sixers. Yeah. Yeah. in the next round they'll probably get past the knicks because the knicks are inexperienced but it's not i don't think it's very captivating and honestly i don't think that the sixers celtic series is going to be that great i know you guys disagree with me on that overall but you know like you said overall competitive basketball upsets everything that you would want in in the nba playoffs is there so far and I guess that brings us to <laughs> our brings us to our stopping point. Um, so we'll be back with a part two once we get to the conference finals. As always, remember to stay moving. Be you, use fly.